And God will speak to us again this evening through the Gospel of Luke, Luke the 18th chapter, probably a fairly familiar chapter to many of us. If you would hold your Bibles open there for a moment, I'd appreciate that. People of God. I thought the book had a rather fascinating title, and I'm sure you would too. It came out some time ago. It's a book with a title called How to, Sur- How to Survive in a Pharisee Church. <laughs> How to Survive in a Pharisee... Or a book for confused Christians. Well, that, well, there are plenty of confused Christians around, so this book should sell very well. The author, interestingly enough, is a medical doctor. Actually, a kidney specialist. Kidney tumors in children. So I see that's kind of a rather interesting combination. What would a medical doctor with a kidney tumor specialist know about pharisaical churches? But it's an interesting combination. A preview of it reads something like this, and I'm going to just read a part of it that I felt the need to print. I, I don't seem to fit in a church. Is there something wrong with me? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever asked that. Does God disapprove of me because I can't seem to get involved? I feel insignificant in church, and that leaves me feeling guilty. If church isn't working for me, maybe I should just give up on God. Don't worry, you're not alone. You can survive. Church life can be confusing business. Result-oriented churches can fast-track the most able and charismatic members leaving the rest of us out in the cold, intimidating hierarchies. Reduce our opinions to insignificance and treat our feelings as of no consequence. Confused and guilty, we end up just hanging on. It doesn't have to be this way. How to survive in the Pharisee church presents a message of hope from the teachings of Jesus Christ right from the very start. Jesus told us that Pharisees have always pulled the strings in organized religion, and they always will. We shouldn't be surprised or discouraged by this, because God has a way through. And that's what we want to do here tonight. See how God has a way through. That we can survive, and you might say, in this thing called a a pharisaical church. And then we have to ask ourselves, of course, and I don't know how all, if all of you are members, but you're here at a Christian Reformed Church, and I've been a member of it for 70-plus years. And so I feel very much at home in the Christian Reformed Church, but I wonder sometimes how pharisaical we are in the way that we deal with one another. For Jesus often took them on the Pharisees. And so what he does in that passage that we're going to read together too. Don't worry, I've not forgotten Luke 18. It's in the passage Jesus takes on also the Pharisees. Uh, while at the same time he has an inclination to identify with sinners, with tax collectors. Uh, 
Luke 18 has a couple of familiar parables, and there's always a danger. There's always a caution word that we need to come with when we're talking about parables, because many of them are familiar. We learn them often early in life, and, and then we assume that what they're saying is what we learned, and maybe we, somewhere along the line that got distorted a little bit. Uh, the first parable that we'll read is, of course, one that teaches us the persistence in prayer. Now, you can't argue that very much. Uh, and he does so. Jesus teaches us about that, how to persist in prayer. Not necessarily how to persist, but that we should persist in prayer by using an uncaring, ungodly, unjust, miserable judge. And you wonder how we risk God, comparing God to an, uh, that kind of a judge. A judge who finally listens to the persistent widow. Just listen to that when we read the scriptures. Uh, but the lesson, of course, is clear that if, if a selfish judge eventually, earthly judge, eventually dispenses justice, what will a compassionate, caring, loving father do? Heavenly father for those who have faith. Uh, and so Jesus takes on also then those who are pleased with themselves, and that's when we're talking about the Pharisees. Uh, and so whenever we read a parable, we have to ask ourselves, with whom do I identify, or whom shall we identify? We were, let's say, have a discussion afterwards, we'd ask ourselves, say, well, who in this parable do you identify with? Uh, and in the light of a book like How to Survive in a Pharisaical Church or a Pharisee Church, we may be reluctant to identify with the Pharisees, and yet it may be that's exactly where we belong. For they were known to be, Pharisees were known to be rather self-suffering, concerned about social status, very much worried about their social status as being respectable. They were proud, no doubt about that, and felt meritorious. That is, they, you know, they had merit. They had more than the rest of us. And they thought that they deserved special places of recognition. And, and you know, many of them even would not even acknowledge their wife if they met them downtown. That's too high for that. So imagine that for a moment. They preferred treatment, and then they preferred wealth, the appropriate wealth. Uh, they loved money and sneered at Jesus. If you move back two chapters to Luke 16, uh, Luke says, they sneered at Jesus, at his teachings, and they loved money. On the other hand, the tax collector we're going to read about, or if you remember the old language we used to use sometime, publican, the publicans were word used in the Latin Vulgate, Vulgate Bible, were considered traitors because they were giving in to the Roman oppressors. And the way that they collected the taxes was they would bid on a certain number of taxes that needed to be collected in an area. And let's say there needed to be 10,000 whatever to be collected. They would bid for that, but then they were free to collect as much more than the 10,000 and the rest was for them kind of deal. And so the, the, these options were auctioned off. And so they could end up being cheaters, extracting and extorting in doing so. Distrusted and despicable, they were seen as extreme opposites of the 
self-righteous Pharisees. So here you have the Pharisees, uh, the tax collector, and the Pharisees on one hand. So let's read that parable. Having said all that, then you can, I think, hear it maybe even more understandingly. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but listened. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord, that is Jesus, said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Notice how Jesus projects ahead huh? about persistence is a good word here. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus speaking, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus challenges us to look at ourselves and ask, how persistent am I? How persistent in my prayer am I? What's my prayer life really like? Compared to the judge who couldn't be bothered. But then he follows it up with this parable about how, how confident are we? And we need to ask ourselves that. How confident are we of our righteousness? <laughs> or how humble, it maybe is a better way to put it, how humble am I regarding my need? Because this becomes very personal. I can't judge it for you, of course not, and you can't for me or anyone else sitting in the pew there with you. But all of you and all of us here are members of the church, and all of us, and I'm looking for 
There's a Lord's Supper table here somewhere, I'm sure, isn't it? Right in front of me. <laughs> what a dingbat, he misses it. But you look forward to coming to the table one day. And you know you don't come out on your own. Not based on anything you've done. And I want you to keep that in mind, because we're talking about, for Jesus is he who went home justified, right? The sum that Luke describes as, some who look down on everybody else do not. Though some do not appreciate what Jesus is teaching here in this passage. The Pharisee is all about himself. It's the Pharisee and the Pharisee and the Pharisee. Imagine for a moment praying that kind of prayer in the presence of someone else who is there. The Pharisee or the tax collector. Standing there saying, I'm so glad I'm not a robber or a, an evildoer or an adulterer or, or like this tax collector. Imagine you're doing that and then, you know, pointing just across the small little synagogue where you are, the small little temple where you may be, that's what Jesus has us keep in mind, and, and looking across and seeing the tax collector who didn't even dare come forward, nowhere near the front. He was hanging back, you see. He'd been fasting twice a week. Wow tithing on all his income. His self-imposed halo is shining brightly, blinding any sinner within a mile, <clears throat> while God rolls his eyes. And then there's a change. Whenever, you know, there's a change, what's going to happen, then you see the word but. But the tax collector, hmm, you're expecting now to hear something different. The Pharisee has been described, and, and you know, I think in our mind he's already a pretty despicable guy himself, turning his, the words on him, huh? That he is the despicable one, really, in this, in this story. The tax collector is the crook, assumed. You know, you've, you hear about another one somewhere else, you know, it's called Zacchaeus. He's a leech on society. He's, he's soaking up where he can, you know. And he didn't even dare. This tax collector didn't even dare raise his eyes and come close to the altar. He doesn't look up even. No. He's a sinner. And he's pleading for mercy. He realizes his need for grace and his complete dependence upon it and the need for compassion. If you were to come to the table and, we, and you had the kind where you came forward or, or the elders were distributing it, I can only imagine him taking it with, 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 with shaking hands, not sure if he should even take, partake of the Lord's Supper, you see? He needed grace, but he knew he didn't deserve it, but he needed it. You see, he knew, he knew that he was looked down upon. You can count on it. Those, those, those tax collectors, you know, they knew how others thought about them. They knew they were the rejected and despised of the group. Uh, thinking of that kind of disdainful treatment. Uh, with whom do you think Jesus was identifying here? 
With whom does Jesus identify? And today, too, as we approach the Lord's Supper, as we approach coming to worship, as we approach living in God's world today, as we approach worship and as we approach our lives and the Lord's Supper included, that is hosted by Jesus, because we speak regularly that Jesus is the host here when he comes. Uh, am I the Pharisee or am I the tax collector, a sinner? Am I a self-righteous, pretty good guy or a sinful person in need of grace and forgiveness? For there is no room and this is nothing new. There's no room for pride or an attitude of self-righteousness. There's no room for confidence in being right with God based on the right things. It's a matter of attitude. It's a matter of self-awareness. It's not about having a healthy attitude or self-confidence as a child of God. No, it's a pride problem that we're dealing with here, thinking we're a little, if not a lot better than the other guy, and then so-and-so. Well, at least I'm better than, and, and we can do that. We know enough people that we can say, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. It's a pride problem. It's a thinking that we've arrived at and that often we, often enough we take our salvation for granted. God really owes it to me. Look what I'll do. I tithe. I do this. I do that. Uh, I come to church twice, and I make sure that everybody hears me speak about church. So often we have, whether we're aware of it or not, a sense of confidence in our self-accomplishments uh, instead of our confidence in God's grace. God's forgiveness, God's restoration. Therefore, there's no room for looking down on anyone, on others at all. There's just no room. So, we have to ask, who are the Pharisees and the tax collectors for us? Who did you see in the mirror this morning when you shaved? Or you adjusted your lipstick for church. Whom did you see? There's probably more Pharisee than tax collector in us, if we're honest, as we just between those two. Remember, both needed God's grace. Neither one deserves grace, salvation, however you want to put that. It's God's grace. Uh, pride, any form of pride, does not merit forgiveness. Pride cannot earn salvation. We come to God's table with nothing. You've sung the song, nothing in my hands I bring simply, simply, and sometimes we don't even stop to think how simple it is. Simply to the cross I cling. That's all there is, you see. Simply to the cross. We accept it by faith. There is no earning it. And that's the thing that you and I have to fight against. 
that's, that, that's the pharisaical side of us that we can so quickly slip into. Or maybe not so quickly. Maybe we do so over the years sometimes. That we kind of slip into that pharisaical mode that, well, I'm a little better than that person. And then we'll judge this one and that one. And we set the bar. It has to be this way or that way. And grace, people of God, gathered here at Cutlerville today, grace is a gift. It's a gift. And like a child, you open it without thinking you earned it. But you accept it as a gift of restoration and forgiveness. Accept it like a child. Because if you move on in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that the next little segment is where Jesus is talking about little children coming to him. I think that was significant as Luke arranged the Gospel that way, you see. Grace is a gift, and there's no missing it. The kingdom of God belongs to those who receive it as a gift, like a little child. And there is no other way of coming to God's table. There's no other way of coming into the right relationship with God than to accept it as a gift to come to the table. You see, pride is, pride is something that clogs the arteries from accepting the grace that flows to us by way of Christ's blood. Pride like cataracts, distort our view, and we see ourselves, or then we don't see ourselves as God sees us. Sinners in need of grace, all of us. And so, people of God, may I remind you with joy. It's one of the reasons I love to preach, because I get to preach that good news. Come to the table. Come to the table childlike. Come to worship, childlike, but not childish. There is a difference. Childish is refusing to participate in something because it's not quite done your way. You see that when children play games, right? Ah, um, why aren't you playing? Well, they don't want... So often, children will step out of it. And we have to be careful about that too. We've got to be very careful about that. Accept it as a child. The, the kingdom belongs to those who receive it as a child. There's no other way. Make sure that you see yourself and that I see myself as God sees us, as God sees me. Sinners. Whatever name we give it. Publicans, tax collectors, people of Cutlerville or Byron Center, but sinners in need of grace. So come to the table. Come to worship, but not childish. Not Come childlike. Come. Accepting the offer of grace, knowing that it is a gift of grace. You have done nothing to earn it. It's not a matter that you kept so you know fast for so long or you gave so much to the church or whatever it is. No, no, that's fair say. Childlike is being accepting, forgiven, and then forgiving. Don't say you're forgiven if you haven't begun to even forgive others. You know, and loving because you've been accepted, because you've been forgiven, and because you've been loved. That's the ticket to the table.
That's the ticket to being right with God. And so come. Live. Live that way. For Jesus is waiting. Having looked at yourselves, come. Come empty-handed. That's okay. Come with the messes that you've had in your life. That's okay. Come. Accept God's mercy. Do so like the tax collector. For what does Jesus say? He went home justified. Let's pray. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, triune God, thank you. I thank you that I could remind us here tonight of your grace, of your ever-flowing, ever-so-rich, ever-encompassing grace. We sing it so often, amazing grace, and it is. And Lord, we need it. Help us to live out of it with gratitude. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing together as we reflect on that, I surrender all.